The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Pat Scott. Hi, Pat. Hello there. And Jack Barazzini. Hi, Jack. Hey. We want to begin this week by talking about something that's coming up very soon, which is our 100th episode. This is our 97th episode, and we have a 100th episode coming up, and it's going to be a special episode. Uh, it's, it, it, well, we have some things planned, but one of the things we want to do is get your feedback. We want to hear from you. What was what is your favorite piece of technology of all time? Your favorite tech? It could be any kind of tech. It could be analog technology. If you if your if your fan on your bedside table is your favorite piece of tech, we want to hear from you. Uh, and and so. What is it and why? And tell us, you know, maybe even you have a story about it. That would be great. And we want to hear from you. In if if you could send in a your voice, we would love that. But we'll take uh, emails as well to send a voice. The probably the easiest way to do that is on your phone. And I know iPhones have this, and I think Androids do too. Is a if there's a voice memo app to just record yourself in the memo and then share it via email to technology at sqpn.com. Now, I'll repeat the email at the end of the show, but we want to hear from you, so send it. Uh, keep it short-ish if you can. If you record an audio thing, maybe 30 seconds or a minute, you know, if if you can keep it in that range, that means we'll get lots of people in. But uh, we want to hear from you what your favorite technology of all time is, and uh, we'll probably be sharing some of that ourselves in the show. Okay, so let's talk about today's topic. Uh, today, our, our first ta- ta- segment, our first topic, comes from listeners. In fact, two listeners wrote in, and uh, we'll start with the first one. Uh, Michael writes in and says uh, that he, uh, he, he and his family were debating purchasing a Blu-ray version of an older television show. And he's concerned about the longevity, the you know investing, because if you're buying a complete series, that's a lot of money. So he asked some questions. If we buy this in Blu-ray, will I be able to find a Blu-ray player when mine finally dies? You know, five, ten years from now. If we buy it digitally, my understanding is we really don't own the file and are then tied into a long-term relationship with the seller. Amazon, Apple, whoever it is you buy it from. Movies aren't music. With music, I have the MP3 that I burned off a CD I purchased in 1988 or transferables from another platform like the songs I purchased from Apple Music. Is that understanding wrong? Is there a safer streaming or digital alternative out there? Or am I overly concerned about the longevity of the Blu-ray player availability? So, uh, and uh, and are movie TV files indeed something I can download or transfer to another platform? And then asks, how do you purchase movies or TV series that you'd like to keep for the long term? So first, let me, let's start with that last question. How do you all purchase your content, your movies or TV shows, that presumably you want to keep uh, in the long term. Jack, what what about you? It has probably been five years since I've actually bought a movie. <laughs> okay. I just, yeah, I just use streaming services. I, 
I kind of view them movies as more of an ephemeral thing than music. Cause I like to buy records for music, but for movies, I don't feel like there's a particularly good physical format, at least for my needs to where I can purchase it and hold on to it forever. So I've just, I've gone straight to just streaming. And this may be kind of a generational thing. I think maybe um, for folks of uh, older generation, the idea we want to own the thing, <laughs> we want to right. buy it and own it. Uh, but Touch you, it. <laughs> but you may not have that attachment to to to, to that uh, as much. You, I mean, do, are you thinking this is something that I'll always be out there in one form or another that I can get access to through some service? Is that in your thinking? It's mostly that, but it's more the fact that there isn't really a good uh, physical format for video that is stable over the long term. I guess reel-to-reel tape would be, but no one really collects those. That's that's a bit (laughs) clunky. Um, Like, I know with DVDs, they have a lifetime of about 30 years. Yeah. Um, Regular DVDs, I just looked this up, but uh, Blu-rays actually, they claim to have a lifetime of 150 years. Right. So I I was hearing about today a new it's a proprietary format called M something uh the M disc and hmm. see the way Blu-rays and DVDs work is they have a dye layer in it a layer of dye and mm-hmm. or you know that that degrades over time and that's the that's the longevity whereas the M disc apparently uses carbon so it uses a mineral that won't decay um now our lifetime 150 years is probably plenty and probably for our kids too. Uh, But, you know, if you're an archivist or a librarian, you know, you want to think in terms of millennia and what would survive over the millennia. So that sort of thing. But um, that's an interesting uh, point is, is that, you know, so for you, you, you sort of in the same camp as our, our, you know, the writer, the listener, Michael, who said, you know, I, I, I'm a, I'm concerned about the longevity, so I'm not going to buy it. It it was your right. Exactly. Okay. How about you, Pat? What, What do you do? Uh, mostly I stream, but there have been a few things that I wanted to be able to watch later. Uh, it's a wonderful life is one of those mm-hmm. things. Of course, I imagine it will always be streaming, but I went ahead and got it on iTunes and I've got, oh, a handful of other favorites, the matrix or uh blade runner or a few things like that on iTunes that mm-hmm. I purchased. I guess I have more faith in Apple that they'll be around for a little bit longer than uh some of the other streaming services right um but i i was also looking and i noticed that two years ago samsung said that they were not making blu-ray uh again players yes Mm. i think it was samsung there was two different ones i was looking at the other ones are still making them yeah but it was like they kind of were thinking well streaming is the only way to go so we're backing out I guess if it were me and I wanted to do Blu-ray because of the higher quality of the video, I think I would buy about three or four DVD or Blu-ray players and just keep them in the closet. And as one died, I've got another one. <laughs> My guess is Blu-rays are going to be like the VCRs. Like you, you can find VCRs at swap meets and flea markets and <laughs> yard but sales. But if you want a higher quality, you well, might want to buy multiples. Right. Yes. Yeah. Well, and when you think about and hopefully it, hopefully USB should be still available. <laughs> well, well, right. That's this is the the issue that we're dealing with with throughout technology is as t- technology progresses, what are we leaving behind and what are we losing access to? And people, we need to be constantly thinking about it. We, last week we talked about the end of Adobe Flash and all that Flash content that it, it was seemingly not accessible anymore. Although it turns out the Internet Archive has set up an emulator 
to continue to be able to access some of that. But, you know, the question is, is how long and how much. But that's that's a concern. I also saw that Blu-ray that you could get a, a gold coated uh, DVD disc or a Blu-ray disc that would be higher uh, length of time that it should not decay. But that's for one you would write yourself, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, if if you were, yeah, you're you're correct. Yeah. yeah. So so the commercial ones that you would buy probably are are because they're being stamped out of a factory. Probably are are at the Just lower standard. end of what we think of as the as the range. Probably. Now, for me, I I I transitioned from DVD to Blu-ray, and now to I'm pretty much stream, all streaming. My thinking used to be if it, I want the discs and especially the extended edition discs for the extra features. So those are for the movies I really love, like for the Lord of the Rings extended edition, mm-hmm. you know, 45 hours of, of video content to watch. And I loved that. I loved the extras on the on the things. And we started to get that somewhat in the streaming versions that we bought that you can buy. OK, so that's that's less of a concern. Well, and there's so much online that you can go see the making of this or that. Yeah, there's so much on YouTube that that I quite frankly, until you mentioned this just now, I hadn't even thought about the extras on a DVD for years. Right. Right. For several years. Yeah. Same here. And uh, so that so the I have when I buy a movie, I generally buy it on usually on. what am I thinking? iTunes, Apple, you know, the in the Apple right. because I'm in the Apple ecosystem. I usually buy it there and I have a number of them. There. And the calculus for do I buy it or don't I buy it is th- there are a lot of stuff that's not available in Netflix for like or Amazon Prime for free streaming. There's still a lot of really good stuff that you can only rent or buy. And my thinking is first, if I think I'm going to watch this more than once, if it's a movie I really like or the kids really like, I'm going to buy it. If yeah. it's mm-hmm. A, if it's something that is on sale, uh, maybe even more likely. But you know, am I, if it's just something I'm going to watch once, but the buy it version is a dollar more than the rented version, I'll probably buy it. Just you know, I'll throw the other dollar in because who knows? Maybe I will want to watch it again in ten years or something. So, am I worried that it's going to go away? That's all. That's always an niggling worry in the back of my mind. There are there is content that goes away. It's less likely to go away if you've if you've purchased it from the system, though. That's one of the things. Like w- one of the things you talk about buying a uh, a series, uh, you know, a TV series. Well, if you if you subscribe to Netflix so you could watch The Office, well, now you ha- you're out of luck because now you've got to go subscribe to Peacock because they. That moved over there, and this is constantly happening. The, you know, uh, Amazon used to have Doctor Who on its Prime streaming, and now it doesn't, and and it's a constant, you know, jumping around trying to find it and what, what, that sort of thing. So in that case, it might be better to buy it. But to to answer Michael's point, you don't own when you when you buy it, quote unquote, streaming, you don't own it. And frankly, when you buy it on Blu-ray, you don't really own it. You own. A piece of plastic, a license. Yeah, yeah, and a license. Yeah. So when we buy media, we're not buying media, whether it's physical or streaming. We're just buying a license to use it, um, and it's a relatively unlimited license for personal use. You can use it for you know as much as you want, uh, as long as you own, as long as you have possession of it, the disc or the streaming file. One of the things to think about with streaming is is when you get it from Apple. I know. It down you can have it download the whole big giant file, right to to your computer. Like you could download it to your Mac, 
it doesn't in that file you could save but you'd still have to you can't you'd still have to have an account with apple and would every time you played it would want to verify with the server but you'd have the right. file at least one thing that has been an issue for me um why i never really even got into buying blu-rays is that i have a lot of dvds from back in the day mm-hmm. and when i play them on my hd tv now they don't really look that good so oh, yeah. part of my my view has been if I just sign up for streaming services or I'm renting things, whatever the current thing is, is going to work with the current technology. So it's still going to look good. That's a really good point. Yeah, I know. We have a ton of old VCR tapes that I tried to watch one and I just about, you know, cringed (laughs) and, and, uh, put up hex signs because it, Oh, it looks awful. Yes. And, uh, so yeah, I understand that, that thing. There is the, and the downside is, is you have to keep rebuying your, movie in, in the newer and newer format that's one of the george lucas if things you, george yeah, lucas if you learned. purchase other other you know if you if you really want to keep it resident as right. opposed to just renting it once in a while right. some things it's like i i went ahead and bought it because it was out two weeks or two months earlier than what i could rent it right yep. and now i'm thinking there's a whole bunch of those movies i won't ever watch again <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> that's actually been a problem with older content like um when they remastered all of next generation yes they they were planning on making up the sales and with in the blu-ray sales but it did not meet the expectations and that's why things like deep space nine have not been remastered yet which if cbs is listening i will pay a lot of money for that if you do it <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I will become a, a more loyal subscriber to CBS All Access if you exactly. put it on there. Another reason to watch All Access. I mean, I just canceled my All Access after the end of the season of Star Trek Discovery, Same and here. I'll pick it up again when the next Star Trek new season of whatever comes around. I'm not pay, I'm not going to hold on it in between. Or they or they'll count on you to forget renewing it like I have done. <laughs> right, right, yeah. And so can, here it is. There it is. Yes, exactly. <laughs> You know, one of the things uh, that was that Jack mentioned is is that it, when you get it streaming, you do get that quote unquote automatic upgrade. You know, when Apple came out with the 4K Apple TV, they made all of their content available in 4K to to everyone. Even if you bought it 15 years ago, they if it's remastered in 4K, it's on there. So that's a good I, thing to keep in mind. Is is that uh, you that when you have it streaming, it's available that way. Now, one thing I want to mention is um, when you buy it streaming from a particular service, there is something called Movies Anywhere, moviesanywhere.com. And it's an agreement among many of these different services to honor each other's purchases so that if you if I buy something from one guy, I can play it on many different services. So if I buy it from Apple, I can play it on uh google play google play right yes and uh, i have done that <laughs> right so if you have a chromecast and an iphone or if you like if you're or if you're on just different platforms if i bought, bought it direct from disney as a streaming and you know and and this also worked when you had the the digital copy so you could buy like and i think that i don't know if they're still doing this i forgot to look it up but you there was a a, uh, a little while where you could buy like a blu-ray disc and there'd be a code inside and you go to the website and enter the code and you would get the digital download, which meant you then had the digital copy in iTunes and in Google Play and all those different places because that worked with movie movies anywhere. So it's sort of the best of both worlds in that case. 
Yeah, I I had done that and forgot about it. And I went to my Google Play and I'm saying, did I double buy these movies? I don't remember. <laughs> and I'm thinking, here's all these things that I had bought in iTunes and they were showing up in Google Play. <laughs> right, right. It's But I think if if I at one point didn't re uh I don't remember exactly if I hadn't logged in, there might be a gap in what I purchased before. Right. And now these this gap aren't aren't recorded and now I'm back again. So so but I don't think I can pick up the ones I bought in between. You you look want to look into that. You might be able to. I think they're cuz I remember having to go in and enter in my all my different accounts and it synced them all up. So right, but I think for I I think at one point I accidentally dropped it thinking, well, what is this? I don't need that. And uh, so I think I may have had a gap in there. But I'll I'll go back and look. But the important thing is, is it's free. It's like you don't. It's yes. not an extra service you pay for. This is an agreement among these these different companies to make their services more valuable. So it's worthwhile. So the bottom line we should probably answer is is so what is, what should what is your advice for Michael with this? He wants to buy this sci-fi TV show complete series. What would you do if you were in Michael's shoes? What what would you do, Jack? I would probably just find which streaming service it is on, assuming it's. It's on one and just subscribe to that because usually if you're buying a series on Blu-ray, it's probably going to be in the range of $100 to $150. And that's going to be, that's going to break out to about a year's worth or maybe a little less of a streaming service. Even, maybe even a little more depending on the, some services. Depending on are, the one, yeah. Yeah, less than that. That's a good point. Yeah, I think I would buy it on iTunes. If, I, if it was available, that's where I would buy it. Yeah, because then I can I can have it in perpetuum, you know, as mm-hmm. long as Apple still is around. Whereas if if it was like on CBS CBS All Access, what if they decided to drop it? Then then I've got to go rebuy it again. Right. I right. mean, it's no longer streaming. I'm sorry, I wouldn't buy it again. It's just no longer streaming, and I can't get to it right. like The Office, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So if it were me, I would buy it, but buy it on the service that I think is going to last the longest. Right. I. I I think those are uh, both solid recommendations. They're depending on the series. Like um, I, uh, because I I do secrets of Star Trek. And so in order to watch Star Trek, I have to, I have, uh, I have, they're all on Netflix. I know they're on CBS all access too, but they're also still on Netflix. Not knock a wood for now. And so I watch them there and I I don't, I'm not too worried about losing them there. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I get, I subscribe to BritBox to get classic Doctor Who, you know, so that could get expensive over time, so you know to have all these different services. But if if it were a series I really wanted and I really was a big fan of, and I just didn't want to have to worry about you know trying to find it somewhere else, and maybe even it maybe it's not that popular that it could go leave all services, then I would probably like you say I would buy it you know on a on a service like iTunes or something like that. But um, in general, with a TV, with this TV show. I would say uh, if it's available on a streaming service, especially one that you already have, I would just do that. So that's that's how I would approach it. So so that's the question from a listener, Michael. Listener Paul had a question, and uh, his question is: uh, I'm moving all my media over to an in-house server. Uh, moving all my media over to over to an in-house server intrigues me. This was based on our conversation last week with Joanne and and uh, Thomas. But a cursory search on the internet suggests that I'll have DRM issues, especially copying over my Blu-rays. Would you consider doing a show, and we're we're doing some of that here, on how to set up these systems, how to connect them to a smart TV, and how much memory would be needed to hold my library, how many megabytes per DVD? 
So I think the first thing is is to talk about how, you know, how how do you set it up? So there are a couple of elements here. So you got your TV and if it's a smart TV, it probably has uh, a media server software built in, whether it's Roku or Apple TV is coming built into some TVs like LG has it now and some other ones like that. So so there's that. Um, if it doesn't have those built in, then you're going to want to get a Chromecast or uh, a uh, Apple TV or a Roku or uh, Fire Stick. It could be Amazon Fire. I guess you could do that too. Um, but one of those media server things. And then the next step, what would be the next step? Would be the storage. You need a, some sort of place. NAS to, or, yeah, or media server. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hard drive. Yeah. Sonos. Right. Sonos will do it. Sonos system it's, as well as do other things. Um, but yeah, network attached storage or a, an inexpensive Linux box, maybe a Raspberry Pi, depending on how much time you want to spend setting it up. Uh, and and Thomas talked a little bit about that last week. So uh, if you want to, to, to listen to that, uh, you, you need a place to store the files. You need software to play it. And so that's where the media server software. And if you have an Apple TV, then you need this, the Plex app or something along those lines. I, I recommend Plex. That's I just that's the easy that's my easy recommendation. If you're on an Apple TV, use Plex. Uh, I think Roku can do Plex. What was the? Did you, either of you remember the the other open source media server software? It's a really popular one that you know, that Thomas recommended last week. And Kodi, the Kodi Home Media Server, K O D I. Oh, K O D I. K O D I. Yes, and so that's a that's an open source version. There are other home media server software out there uh, that that works like that. Say, I'm gonna say, I'll see if I can find a nice article that kind of narrows it down. But one of the things that sort of depends on what do you have, you know, what do you have for your computing systems and your network, and uh, what's your level of ability. Some of that is, you know, it depends on that. The one of the questions though is how much memory would you need f- for a library if you rip your software if you rip your movies How much storage the yeah. storage and the the um the thumb the, the rule of thumb on it is basically about 1 gigabyte of hard drive storage per hour of a video sometimes more sometimes less but th- that can that can be different depending on the quality so when you're ripping you can rip at different quality levels but in general it's uh, about 1 gigabyte you just figure on 1 gigabyte per hour and if you're going to um if you're going up like to HD or 4K it's going to be bigger depending on what kind of files you're storing. So if you're going to if you have a large library of HD videos, you need to keep in mind that you're going to need a lot of storage to hold all that. Right. If you're I mean if you're if you've got lots of Blu-rays, you're going to need a big probably a NAS, you know, a big drive. And yeah. you want to, you know, keep it backed up and 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 so let's talk about the the question of ripping uh, Blu-rays, because that, that's a because and you bring up Paul that DRM issues are a concern. So let's let's talk about that right up right off the bat. Just to kind of the elephant in the room, the the question of the legality and the ethics of ripping Blu-rays, which are which have copy protection on them, is a somewhat open legal question. M- many many people do it, and they do it for their own personal use. Uh, in order to create backups of their discs and for the purpose of longevity, like like Michael was uh, had written to us earlier, and and to play them in different conversion formats. 
And that has the, the theory is, is that is fair use. A lot of the stuff is sort of it's 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 open to interpretation until you get sued and you have to defend it in court. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's no hard and fast rule about if this is allowable or not. They do put copy protection on these discs. There is software out there that gets around it. And so it's up to you. If you if you're ripping these to post them on the internet and to sell copies to other people, that's pretty clearly bad. But if you're if you're just ripping it because you you want to be able to play it on your Apple TV, your Roku, your Chromecast, or something like that, you you're probably within the boundaries. But this is a decision you'd have to make for yourself. Um, that said, if you chose to go that route, and and I have done this uh, a few times uh, with some discs, uh, you'll there's some hardware and software you need. The the hardware is you'll need a Blu-ray write, reader writer. So uh, most computers don't, you know, come, I think even most PCs don't come with DVD drives anymore, do they? No, uh, no. Macs haven't for a long time. But uh, I have, um, the Amazon has tons of these. And I have the LG Electronics. It's a 6X Blu-ray writer, 8X. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes, but there's tons of them out there. They're not wicked expensive. Let's see, the LG one is, it's $89. It's not super cheap. It's not super expensive. It's a it's US connects via USB. There's probably other ones that are, are even better uh, for you know faster. I bought this one th- uh, three years ago now. Uh, is it two, three and a half years ago? So it's probably you know there's probably they probably have better ones out now. But it's just it's a Blu-ray player connects to the, my computer, and then you need the software if you're on a Mac. And this is what I know. Uh, there's a piece of software called Make MKV. And what it does is it takes the Blu-ray disc and you tell it which they there are a bunch of different video files on there. There'll be like the the video uh, that plays when you put the from the menu and stuff like that and trailers. And what you generally do is you look for the biggest file on the disc, and that's usually your your uh, movie. And you tell it you know grab that, and it grabs it and it puts it into what's called make MKV format or Matryoshka, I think is something something format. Uh, you know, the Matryoshka dolls, which is the Russian nesting dolls. And that's kind of the idea. It's a nesting format. And so it it makes it in a format that most uh, software, like a media server software can read. And it will put it on your disk. So there's... And you have to have a lot of storage on your computer to do that. Right, right. It'll, like for a movie, we're talking, it's probably going to be several gigabytes. And probably, yeah, it'll be a bunch of gigabytes to to, to rip, say, a, a movie. So... And then you just put it on your ser- your media server, and it'll Plex will usually if you name you there are naming conventions you have to kind of name it a certain way for it to, it, but if you do it'll look it up in a database and um, you know give it the right uh, artwork and the right metadata and all that sort of stuff. It actually does a really good, really good job. I'm impressed by how well it it usually does, and you'll be able to use it just like you would like you know Netflix or something else. Um, so. There's that is now, do you, either of you have any experience doing, doing or knowing any software? I'm not going to ask you to out yourself as a, as a Blu-ray ripper, if that's not, you're not comfortable with that, but do you know about any uh, similar software for other operating systems like uh, either Linux or Windows? I've used one called Handbrake in the past. Uh, um, and I, I know it works for DVDs. I've used it for DVDs. Um, they have a Blu-ray version. I've not used that one, but when I used it in the past for DVDs, it worked pretty well. Yeah, I yeah, would I know recommend it's good software. Yeah, Handbrake for DVDs definitely. Um, when I was when I got Make MKV a few years ago, uh, they didn't have the Blu-ray version, and I didn't go back and try it again since I don't 
I don't buy Blu-ray, so I haven't used it in ages. But uh, right. but it might be worth checking out because you know, Handbrake is really good software. Pat, do you know of yeah, anything? I I haven't. I, I've got one of my associates who has done a lot of DVD ripping, plain DVD, not Blu-ray, uh, for their church so that they could play them in, in a limited setting. But uh, I don't remember what he used. I could look it up and we could put it in the show notes okay. if, if I can find it. That would be great. That would be great. So, you know, this is, it's it's not the easiest thing in the world. They don't want it to be the easiest thing in the world to do. Uh, and it's kind of hard to describe in an audio format, but maybe if I can find uh, links to some some articles that might be, give some good explanation. Um, a, a, always a great place that I usually ch- consult when I'm looking for this sort of thing is imore.com on the Mac side of things. Uh, they often have good how-to articles and they might have something there, but uh, I'll, uh, I'll, if I can find a, a one that I like, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes, but uh, definitely. So I think that's about uh, does it for the, for now for this topic. We, we could certainly come back to this, but the, the, the question of future proofing your TV slash movie media is an important one for us as we as we kind of transition through technologies and leave behind certain technologies and move to new ones. And one of the great frustrations of our age is having to keep rebuying the same thing over and over again. Imagine if, you know, every every 10 years you had to rebuy uh, your favorite book, <laughs> you know, The Lord of the Rings, which some of us did because we bought it on ebook <laughs> at one point. <laughs> I suppose. Uh, so well, it's kind of like kind of like having to rebuy encyclopedias because they get out of date, you know, but we don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> no, we just get we can just edit Wikipedia to suit our purposes. No, just kidding. Right. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's out of date. I'll just change it. <laughs> All right. So uh, I think that should do it for now. If you have any que- more questions, any listeners, any more questions on the to- this topic, we'd love to hear from you. We could try to clarify some more, give some more explanation or, or explore different parts of this topic. Uh, before we move on to our next part of the show, I do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including Michael C., Rosemary S., John H., Anthony W., and Mike M. Their generous donations at sqpn.com give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology and all the shows at StarQuest. Now is a great time to become a StarQuest patron, thanks to a generous gift from a StarQuest supporter. When you start a new Patreon monthly pledge at sqpn.com slash give, the first three months will be matched by an equal amount from our donor. So, for example, if you give if you become a new patron at $10 a month, after three months, our donor will give $30 to StarQuest to support all our shows, including this one, making your gift go even further. So if you've been thinking of becoming a StarQuest patron, now would be a great time to do so. So visit sqpn.com slash give today. All right, so our second segment today is addressing some current events. This is the, I'm sure, the thing that everyone has been noticing, for, is, and it has a huge technology angle. The the political uh, stuff going on in the United States has a big tech angle this week, and we don't want to talk about politics, but we do want to talk about technology. But te- politics is an indelible part of it, so we'll we'll we'll, we'll veer up against it for once or twice in this segment, I'm sure. But uh, we want to talk about the deplatforming but we want to talk about this we don't you know deplatforming politicians and and that sort of thing we really want to talk about this from the perspective of a regular person a regular user if you are someone who is afraid of being deplatformed or afraid of the sorts of things that these big companies apple google facebook twitter can do to your personal 
uh, hardware, your experience of the internet and that sort of thing. So we want to kind of talk about a little bit about that. So uh, a lot of people had joined this social media network called Parler. And then uh, after what happened at the U.S. Capitol at the beginning of January, all these big companies, Facebook and well, not so much Facebook because that's their competitor, but a- Apple and Google pulled Parler's apps from their stores. Amazon, whose servers hosted their software that ran the company, banned them from their software. And the company and Parler is essentially shut down. Now, Apple has said Parler can come back if they make some changes to the way they run their service, if they moderate out violent speech what do you think about just about the idea of the this these big companies being able to take away a social media platform for a particular segment that holds to a particular political point of view what 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 is your without getting again too much into the politics but what is your basic how do you, how does it make you feel what does it make you think when this happens i see a parallel to other dangerous type of things on a platform, for instance, how to make an atom bomb, how to, uh, you know, maybe uh, raw pornography, et cetera. I see it as a parallel. Whatever your political views are, there's there's always free speech versus uh, personal preferences. And in the other areas of safety, people who shout fire do not, you know, that is illegal and they do get taken out. Uh, with pornography, if it's found on on some pl- platforms, that person who posts it is banned. They have other servers that they can go to that are their own servers that they can serve this up, and and not affect the general uh, the major services. So I see that as the parallel. Um, that but that's my point of view. Okay, yeah, Jack. What did, what do you think about? Um, I'm pretty much in the same boat. I think it's. I think you can be equally upset with what happened and then also at the same time worried about how much power big tech has in our lives. But I do think that it is really easy to veer into the territory of because this, these certain things that people are saying online are being blocked. That means that everything is going to be blocked and we won't be able to say anything. I think that once credible threats have been identified, then it's, it makes sense that there needs to be moderation of that. It's a lot of fear. It's not so much that I think when people see some people who are espousing certain things getting taken down, the fear is, is I'm not saying those things, but I'm afraid it's that it, the, the takedown is going to spread. I think that's really more of it. It's going to, to begin to encompass the, the, the shadow of that is going to, encompass more of us and and partly because many of us including me we've yeah. suffered unjust takedowns of our content uh by mm-hmm. you know s- social media i had a post on facebook that was removed for violating community standards and it was a quote from saint augustine on something about you know uh, sin about sin <laughs> yeah but but not even like the kind of thing you'd think that would it was just like hey you know Take basically the pay attention to the plank in your own eye before you you look at the the splinter in someone else's, and the, the, and I, so I have no I still don't understand why it got taken down, and that's the sort of thing I think that makes people nervous, is these big tech companies kind of blundering around on the internet 
in ways that we can't predict, we don't understand, they're kind of scary. And for a lot of people, they still don't, the, the their phone, the internet, it's still a big magic box. What They're not quite sure what happens inside it and how it works. And it's easy to have conspiracy theories about, you know, well, they're watching me and they're going to shut me down for what I say. Yes. Yeah. I think that we have this this weird we're in this weird space right now where we have all this technology and it's becoming integral to our lives but we haven't really worked out all the kinks yet like we have these like Google and Facebook these are essentially extra national countries for all intents and purposes with the amount of people that belong to them and the amount of power they now have it's like a, a virtual country basically but we don't really know how to integrate that with our lives right it's a new kind of civilization where we have these multinational corporations that are sort of a extra national, you know, right. the, some people will, will say like, well, you don't have the, a first amendment right on a private service. You know, this is their private company. You, they can censor whoever they want because it's private. It's a, it's not the government. The first amendment only applies to what government does to you. But uh, there's a writer, Bar her name is uh, Barry Weiss. And she, I, I was reading a piece by her today and it was really good. She said, you know, one thing we have to keep in mind, you know, so, Barring businesses from using online payment systems, removing companies from the app store, banning people from social media, these are the equivalent of telling people they can't open a bank account or start a business or drive down a street. In other words, that, that's her quote. Now, what I'm saying is, in other words, these are de facto public squares now. They've become... Right. The especially for for us who when now that we're all in lockdown and we can't actually go into the public square like we used to, this is how we connect with people is through these services. Do we need an online bill of rights? Do we need some sort of regulation that gives us more rights? Or you know, on the other hand, some people are saying the solution is to have. Uh, I saw a, a newspaper editorial. Uh, we need government-run social media. We need a government-funded, which. I'm sorry. No, that was great. <laughs> that yeah. Well, and then but then you have all kinds of other issues which is if the government is running it then it really is a first amendment question and you you can't ban people and that sort of stuff. Right. So um well and and it would be one thing if the moderation of these things and the taking down of, of offensive things had some justice behind them, had some some uh, a relative. We've talked about this before one time saying it needs a cross section of people who can moderate, not just be some employees you hired. There needs to be a transparent due process that's accountable right. to somebody. An, an appeal, an yes. appeal process. An appeal too. process, right. There needs to be a, right. That's one of the things I think that gets people is that there's no, there's no court of appeal there's and the, the trans, there's almost no transparency to how a lot of this works. It sort of seems uh, just whoever is in charge or some algorithm or faceless. And I think that darkness makes people afraid, makes people fearful. And I think they it's they're it's it's justified to be fearful in that case. So I think if if anything, there there needs to be some kind of you know even if we don't get an online bill of rights, there at least needs to be something that says. There needs to be some sort of standard due process that's transparent and accountable beyond these companies. And I think that's that's probably a place to start. Yeah, definitely. One of the things that uh, has come up is there's a lot of, as people respond to this, there's a lot of fear and uncertainty and doubt and rumors being spread about ways to protect yourself from big tech. 
Um, and many of them involve doing bad things to your phone and your computer, uh, bad for you. And so I, I kind of wanted to mention a few of these. One of them is I, I saw people said that uh, they, they claiming that Apple was going to turn off the emergency alert system. You know that you know the, remember the beep. At the, if this had been an actual alert, you know that sort of thing that we used to hear on the radios and TV. But now that you, that your phone has this, so that if the government needs to make a a broad, wide message of emergency, it can do so right to your phone, which is great. And so people were saying claiming that Apple was going to turn that off on iPhones so that the president couldn't send a message out to to all Americans. And it was going to do this through an automatic update to your phone. And so therefore, you should turn off automatic updates on your phone. But that's a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> and it was false. Right. I think that sometimes people have this idea that and this is a I've heard similar things when people are talking about like the, which pres, whichever president it is who has the nuclear launch codes. I think people kind of view it as the president has like a console and he has these buttons and he can just do things right. with impunity, which that's not how it works. Right. There's a layer of people, a bureaucracy. It's not like the president picking up his phone and tweeting. This is there's there's right. a lot of people who have to sign off on a thing. And a president does is doesn't have dictatorial power. The people under him really do have the ability to say no like that violates the law i can't i can't do that in fact they're expected to say if they're asked to do something illegal they're expected and required by law to say no so right and the other thing the reason why it's bad to turn off automatic updates on your phone is those Security. updates are yeah they often are pushing very quick very important zero day security updates that if you if you don't get them, it leaves you somewhat vulnerable to hackers. Hackers, in fact, hackers are probably the ones who spread the rumor in the first probably. place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and and I've seen people go through similar types of things about turning off automatic updates on on their computers. Yep. Because they they didn't want uh, Microsoft or Bill Gates to be doing stuff to their machine. Right. Now, in some cases, you know, some of the updates blow up occasionally. And so I understand the caution of saying, wait till an update comes out and several weeks have passed, then go ahead and go for it. But uh, yeah, there there is that. Uh, I don't want Microsoft looking over my shoulder, so I'm going to turn this off. And now I'm vulnerable to all this, these viruses and right. malware. Right. So yeah, that's dangerous. It's it's one thing to hold off on like a major upgrade. Like I'm I'm holding off yeah, on, to hold uh, back. on sure. Ca from Catalina to uh Big Sur. But I'm not but whenever there's a security update, I update that right away. And Apple, to their credit, updates several versions back operating systems with security updates. If I'm still on Mojave or probably even further back than that, I don't know if they go all the way back to Mavericks, but but the they they are still issuing security updates for old operating systems. And when those come out, yes, I do that automatically. So you don't want to turn off automatic updates for your operating system. And then I saw someone else saying you have to, they were giving these instructions for how to go in and turn off your ability to delete apps from your phone so that Apple can't take your, the apps from your phone for the things you want to keep. And I'm thinking, no, all you're doing is preventing yourself from doing something that doesn't do anything to Apple's so Apple and I'm I, I don't know if the if Android has this ability but Apple has the ability to and it's it this is a a fail safe everything's going bad sort of uh function 
to pull an app from everyone's phone at once, uh, which would be necessary if an app got through the app store and was on a lot of phones that was found to be uh, malicious, like stealing your passwords and breaking into things. Like if it was a really bad app, they can they could pull it from every phone. And so they technically have the ability to to pull apps from phones. You're not going to affect that by turning off your ability to delete apps. No. It's almost like you're saying, I want to set up parental monitoring or parental controls, and now I'm the kid. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do anything on my phone. <laughs> exactly. Well, with things like uh, like the parlor thing, like it's a moot point because the servers got shut down anyways. Right. Right. You can have so the you've... app all day long and it doesn't do anything. Yes. Right. And and that's the thing is, is a lot of this stuff is, again, people treating it like they they don't understand how it works. So they, yeah. and, and they get this stuff gets thrown at them. And, and I, I have to wonder who's saying this, who's spreading this information, probably no, people so. who, who want to cause fear, uncertainty, doubt, who want to make people more vulnerable to their own actions. And at the risk of sounding self-serving, listen to people like secrets of technology or other people who know how this stuff works. I'm not going to say I'm an expert. Or different places like that. Right. People, voices you trust about people who understand this technology, people who are experts in it, even more so than, than any of us maybe even, but, but listen to them about this because a lot of this stuff is, is bad for you. I mean, this even just goes back to, you know, these tip videos I see about how to make your phone run better. And I watch so many of these tip videos and these are terrible ideas. Like the whole thing about like quitting all of your apps all the time is a bad idea because the runs down the battery and all that. Right. Yeah. The, I mean, without without spending a lot of time talking about how how it works, because we, we've talked about it before. But it's it's just the rest. You know, just rest assured, it's not really relevant to the main topic. But turning off all your quitting all your apps all the time is a bad idea. It 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 wears out your battery, like you said, and makes the phone slower. So this is this is a kind of the concern. So there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of misinformation out there. I think the the big thing is is just I need people need to be calm. They need to pray. They uh, maybe even take some time off of social media. Uh, I I've started spending less time on Facebook myself. I I I'm there every day. You know, often for work, but you know to check up on on my friends and that sort of thing. But uh, I'm spending less time looking at stuff that makes my blood boil. And I think maybe a lot of us need to do that too. That's my suggestion. Yeah. I've started saying I look at Google news in the evening and I look at Facebook in the evening, the rest of the time I don't (laughs) because it's, there's just too much. And so let me get a small, concise general, you know, summary of what's important and and not worry about the rest. It's not healthy to get a, a steady fire hose of this stuff all day long. No, not at all. All right. I think we should uh, wrap that part up there and uh, move on to our picks of the week. But if you, again, if, if, if you have any questions, you've heard specific rumors about, you know, things that you could do to your phone, make your phone safer, that sort of stuff, feel free to send them to us. We'll be happy to uh, address them, tell you whether it's good information or bad information, that sort of stuff. Let us know. All right, so uh, picks of picks of the week, Jack. Let's start with you. What's your pick of the week this week? My pick of the week is a website called ninite.com. 
Um, what it is, is it, um, it consolidates a bunch of different apps. Um, it's got web browsers, uh, messaging media apps. It's got a lot of good things if you're doing development or database work, um, a lot of different utilities for that. Um, and it lets you select all the apps that you want. Like if you want to download Python and then a bunch of, uh, runtimes, you can select all those and then it will spit out an installer for you that installs all of those at once, rather than you having to go through and find every single different installer. So it's essentially just a catalog that will give you one executable and you get everything in one go. And it's, it really saves a lot of time um, if you're trying to go out and grab things. Only for Windows, though. It's for Windows. Yeah, it is only for Windows. Um, and the free version is only for personal use. So if you're a company, um, I know a lot of companies will use it for their deployments, but um, unless you're paying for Pro, it's just for personal use. But it saves uh, a lot of time, especially oh, yeah. if you're doing something like getting a new development environment set up. I use it all the time. And there is one additional thing that they hide on their web pages, but you can find it by searching, is that there is a Ninite updater that you can, it's $10 a year, and you can, uh, for one machine, and I, I paid for like a 30 or something, I don't know, not that many, uh, they have a tiered amount, but you install that, I mean, you don't install it, yeah, you do. You install it, and it automatically lets the person know if there are updates for any of the free services that are out there, oh, not awesome. just the ones that they initially installed. So it'll it'll keep Adobe Reader up to date. It'll keep uh, uh, Open Office. It'll keep all of these things up to date and lets you know when there are new versions. Nice. And it's a very automated process and very inexpensive way to do it. And it's better than any of the other updaters I've looked at. Nice. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. I use uh, on the Mac, I have a, a piece of software called Mac Update, which informs me every day, does a scan every day and informs me of software that needs to be updated. And I can run that. Uh, it doesn't do it automatically. But uh, but I like the idea of have of being able to have an environment and just a brand new computer, just put all this stuff on it because uh, it is yeah. a hassle when the first time you set up a computer that having to install everything from scratch. So that's, that's good. And the other, other nice thing about Nanite or Ninite or whatever you want to call it is that when it goes and gets these things, you're not prompted for, do you want to add this feature or do you mm. want to be put on this mailing list? It's a very clean install. That's mm -hmm. the safest thing. It doesn't add other uh, malware or anything like that. It's, no shovelware. It's very, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. It's a very clean process. Excellent. All right. Great. Thank you, Jack. Uh, Pat, what do you have for a pick this week? Well, I use Gmail all the time, and I, I kept telling myself, I wish there was a way I could attach a note to an email so that I could find things or you know that weren't in the email itself, but I wanted to put a, you know, like I'd ordered this thing and it was for Isabella or, and it's supposed to be here or whatever. Uh, so I found a little app. Uh, it's a browser extension by Cloud HQ called Gmail Notes, and you have it's a Chrome only browser extension. Although it probably is good on Edge and Brave, it'll work on Brave, yeah, right. And so after you put a note in, that even if you're not on that platform, if you're on your iPhone or whatever, the note still shows. Oh. You can't edit it there, but you can still see the note right in part of the header. So it's been really helpful to add notes to, oh, call this person back, or the delivery is due such and such a date, or this was for this particular purchase, so I can help myself organize. And so it's it's just been really very 
very handy this last month using it. It would be handy to be able to take notes on emails. Yeah. I, it's not a very long thing, but, you know, it, it does give you several, uh, you know, a little bit of space to put a note on it. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I could see where that would be very useful. And it's free. And it's free. Excellent. I always like free. So my pick this week, I'm going back to doing some uh, Mac iOS software. Uh, I haven't done any of that in a in a bit, so I'm going to feel free to do that now. So uh, this software is really great called Transloader. Now, it's from a company that I've I used some of their other software, and I didn't know that they had this until recently. But this is a kind of it, it really meets a need that I had, which is if you, sometimes you're on your phone, like I'm on my iPhone or I'm on my iPad and I'm reading articles or, you know, I'm. I'm or I'm on Twitter, or I'm not usually on Twitter, but if I'm on Facebook and someone mentions some really great software or something I want to download, or maybe if it's like a file I want to download, uh, but I don't want to download on my phone. Well, what Transloader does is you can put a URL into it uh, for any downloadable, and it will download it on your Mac for you. So it's both a, it's both an iOS app and a piece of Mac software. And so you put the you put the software on your Mac, and it connects them up. And so that URL that is then put into is then downloaded. So for example, if there's a say there's a PDF on a website, and I want to download it, I, there are several different ways I could I I have had to do it in the past on my phone where I could download it and get it over to the to the Mac. But now I can just share it from the share extension to Transloader. And it will download it on my Mac. By the time I get back to my Mac, it's already there. So if it's especially good, like with software, if like if I want to download a piece of software, I, I definitely can't do that on my phone. Uh, like it's a Mac software, but it will do it uh, to my Mac. So Transloader, and I think you, you only have to buy one of them. I think you only have to buy the Mac software. You need both pieces for it to work anyway. But it's like four dollars, so really cheap for for a useful utility, and uh, so. Transloader. Transfer download links from your iPhone or iPad to the Mac. All right. I think that should do it for us. Uh, so if you've got feedback for us on our discussion, if you have anything you wanted to say or any questions you wanted to ask us, uh, any topics you'd like us to address, or don't forget, uh, send us your feedback about your favorite tech of all time. We still like to hear from you on that. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page, facebook.com slash StarQuestMedia, or send an email to technology at sqpn.com. And uh, so if one of those doesn't work, one of the others will. Just rest assured, I heard some folks say they had a little trouble emailing that email address, and I'm not sure what was going on with that, but uh, try one of the others if the, if one doesn't work. But it should. Uh, you'll find links from our discussion and our picks of the week on our show notes at sqpn.com. If you can, we really appreciate it. When you write a review of the show in Apple Podcasts or one of the other podcast directories and share the podcast with your friends to help us grow our community and reach more listeners. Until next time, Jack Barazzini, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Thanks, Dom. Pat Scott, thank you as well. It was fun. Till next time. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of technology on StarQuest. <laughs>